Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. It's hard to believe we're in the final week of May, but here we are. And ladies, if that sent a little shiver down your spine, I'm here to remind you that you already have a beach body, you can wear the shorts, and you are as prepared for summer as you need to be. This PSA, by the way, was as much for me as it is for you. Let's not get tripped up in the lies society tells us and enjoy every last minute of summer 2023. But first, don't even think about leaving before you listen to this week's show. Here's what's coming up. If you ever feel like you've missed the boat on achieving your fitness dreams because of your age, your ship has just come in and Joan McDonald is captain of the boat. At 77, Joan is showing the world and herself that fitness can be achieved at any age with a mindset shift and a plan. Joan joins me to share how she turned her life around at 70 and what people can expect from her new book, Flex Your Age. Is it getting hot in here or is that just a hot flash? It's hard to know when menopause and hot flashes amongst what seems like a thousand other symptoms start to kick in. Thankfully, Dr. Christine Palme from Care to Know is joining me today with some helpful advice for those entering into this sometimes difficult chapter of life. Anne Brody has new entertainment, which includes a look at the new HBO original documentary, Being Mary Tyler Moore, the new Netflix series, FUBAR, starring the one and only Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Drops of God on Apple TV+. The pushback on MLMs is on the rise, with more and more former boss babes speaking out about them. Emily Lynn Paulson was a unicorn in the space, making nearly a million dollars before walking away from it all because the cost was too steep. She lays it all out in her new book, Hey Hun, Sales, Sisterhood, Supremacy, and the Other Lies Behind Multi-Level Marketing, and joins me to discuss. Finally, Zoe Eka joins me to share a little of the creative process behind her new album, This Hen, before we listen to the single, This hen is starting to hate men. Ouch. You just know there's a story there. It's another full week at what she said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. guest is a woman who has redefined aging and is showing us that it's never too late to embrace a healthier lifestyle. Just seven years ago, at the age of 70, Joan McDonald was battling numerous health issues, struggling with mobility, and was on medication for high blood pressure and acid reflux. However, an emotional intervention by her daughter Michelle led to a life-altering journey towards wellness. Today, at the age of 77, Joan is not just healthier, but she's also tech-savvy, a gym enthusiast, and an inspiration to countless individuals across the globe. She's here to share her story and inspire us to take control of our own health, regardless of our age. Welcome to What She Said, Joan. Thank you very much for inviting me. 
I have been following your journey, actually. I'm a bit of a internet stalker, I think, because I've been following your journey now for a couple of years. I've seen some articles about it. I've, I follow Wonder Woman. Uh, so I'm fascinated. So can you walk us through sort of your mindset at the very beginning of this journey? And what were your initial fears? I think I was very, uh, afraid of everything, um, especially the technology. But no, I... I would say my mindset was pretty, pretty darn low, it, very negative, but I've got this, um, a stubborn streak in me. So, uh, I think that really saved my bacon. Um, without it, I would have, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be here right now. Definitely. I would not. Um, and Michelle and JJ have been stellar in helping me, uh, talking me out of my, you know, negativity, you have to put in a lot of um, effort in order to get any results. Nothing is going to be given to you. You have to work really hard. And the mindset, I wish I had worked on it even harder at the beginning. And maybe I would have progressed even faster or at least better than I have, um, as for the, the, uh, technology part, I can get through everything, but I, I'm still, I'm still learning. I think I'll be learning till it's all over. I don't think any of us, I don't think any of us can keep up anymore, Joan. It's pretty fast paced anymore. It's so fast. Yeah. Like you buy something and it's supposed to be top of the line right today. And then six months later, it's obsolete. I'm going, what? You know, you're paying big bucks for everything. I did, I just wanted something that would get me through everything. Um, yeah, I I was very negative, but I kept was very stubborn. So even when I wanted to throw in the towel, I it was a almost like a shame for me if I if I did that. It it was a promise that I that I would really give my all to. Um, progress and um that's what i've been doing all along you've undergone a really remarkable transformation in the gym and i encourage people to go at the end of this and look at this transformation because it is incredible so can you tell me more about your fitness routine and how you grew confident in that environment i guess i could do a mental block i block things out so if i'm in a of situation and I don't want to be a part of the situation, I can just close my mind off to what is around me. So with the gym, I just, I didn't, I didn't focus on people watching me. People are there actually to work out. Um, I convinced myself of that. And uh, within a few months of, of really starting this, this, uh, progress, I had people questioning me, asking me stuff. So it was another change, like you're accepting, well, maybe you are doing something that other people want to take part in. So I just, I, any questions anyone asked, or if they came up and said, wow, I've been watching you for a few months now, and you've really changed. It what to me, it was slow. Okay, but um, I guess 
like in six months, I lost that first 40, 40, 45 pounds. And I only was going to try for 30 just so that I can move around a little bit more. How does it feel to know that your story is so empowering to others? It's mind-blowing. I, I still have trouble accepting that what I do is that effective. But the fact that it is, and I get stories led back to me about what uh, people have done. Like, usually it's daughters for their mothers, okay, have, have um, or even their fathers, but mainly mothers, how they've uh, the changed their, their mother's progression into old age, like especially when they have dementia or Alzheimer. Um, they've t taken what I've told them I've done and utilized it to such a degree that I'm thinking, well, I know it worked for me. And I'm so glad that other people are finding that it's working for them. Um, it's just, it's, it's humbling, really, um, that anyone can have that much influence on others. It, it, you're such a delight to watch, though, and to, to track this journey is incredible. And I can absolutely see why you are such an inspiration. And you have a new book out called Flex Your Age. Can you tell me what people can expect from that book? Well, the, the book is mainly about um, a little bit of background for both Michelle and I. And then um, it's both our book. They just want me on the, as the main character. But um, how this lifestyle actually works. It's not, I, there's not diets in it. Um, there's not a lot of food stuff in it. It's mainly talking about how it's more, I would say, on the mindset of um, accepting yourself, loving, learning to love yourself in the process. Um, we all have something to offer. There's, and none of us are the same. And wouldn't it be a boring world if we all were? It's, we learn at different um, stages in our life. We learn at different speeds. It's just, it, it's an enlightening book that actually helps fix your mind as to what you are after. So the book came out in November then. What has the response been like? Actually, it's been really good. I don't know the numbers. I don't, I don't look after that part of it at all. I have, I have no real interest as long as I get feedback saying that they really like the book and I get a lot of that. So I'm, I'm happy as long as everybody else is happy. I have one last question for you, Joan, because I just need to know, what are you weightlifting these days? What's the heaviest weight you can lift at 77 years of age? Okay, I'm doing the box squat and I, I got up to 130. Wow. With the box squat. <laughs> I think that's incredible. It's it, yeah, it's, it's low compared to other people, but it's I guess for seventy-seven. I don't know. I think you're doing. I think you're doing incredible. You're just a joy, and I, I really hope people pick up your book and follow along with your journey. You really are setting an example for us all, Joan. Uh, so I thank you so much for joining me. So where can people uh, catch up with you? Follow your daughter Michelle. Find the book. Uh, please share it all with us. Uh, if you put. 
plug in Train with Joan. You're going to come up with a lot of information. You can go to Google, put my name in, Joan McDonald. You can go to YouTube and it shows a whole slew of, of um, exercises and stuff. But my app is, um, yeah, Train with Joan. What's quite talking about? Yeah, that's my app's called the same thing. Um, and it's affordable for people who have, you know, trouble going to a gym, you know, affording that or getting private help. It's, I don't train people. I, I show an example to people. So that's a good thing. You can go to Barnes and Noble. Um, Amazon carried it. Well, I will put all the links uh, in the podcast liner notes for people who are looking. I will grab them all and put them in that for you. But uh, Joan, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure meeting you. And uh, I wish you luck in everything else you're going to do because you're just amazing us all. So thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, my dear. with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Conversations in and around menopause have moved from hushed, quiet circles amongst friends to mainstream media, and we are all the better for it. Until the last few years, many women suffered in silence as they began to experience hot flashes, night sweats, forgetfulness, and fatigue, to name but a few of the many symptoms women go through during this time. Thankfully, this topic is not taboo, and we are learning more and more about effective treatment options daily. Dr. Christine Palme is here today as part of our ongoing series with caretoknow.ca to address what's new in the area of menopause treatment. Welcome back, Christine. Thank you so much, Candice. I know for sure we don't have enough time to get to all of that we need to in six minutes. So let's jump right in. What are the most common complaints women come to you with about menopause? How does it impact their lifestyle and health? So I'm going to start off by saying it is not talked about. There is still a silence and a stigma around menopause, uh, partially because I think females normalize this transition as something every woman has to suffer through. That is incorrect. Uh, and also, about you know, 15 years ago, there was a pivotal trial that resulted in some scary concerns following hormone replacement therapy. We've since done the research. Things have come back to a um, more balanced perspective. But uh, you know, the shadow of those studies also further uh, made it a difficult topic because healthcare practitioners were simply number one, not educated, number two, scared, and number three, uh, almost unwilling to prescribe these medications. Um, so, you know, in terms of women coming in, I think there is a, a gradually increasing war cry as women start understanding that their symptoms can be treated. And we have to understand that menopause is not just hot flashes. Menopause includes cognitive uh, issues, brain fog, you know, vaginal irritation, 
joint pain, fatigue. It's really a gamut of symptoms that drastically reduce the quality of life uh, for a female. So I mentioned a few of the symptoms at the beginning. I myself at one point was having 20 to 30 hot flashes a day before I actually really started to research this. But what are some of the other really common symptoms? Uh, insomnia, sleep difficulties, that's top of mind. And often a patient won't identify that as being a peri or postmenopausal issue. Um, vaginal irritation, dryness, bladder symptoms, the sensation that you have to urinate, irritability, joint pain, heart palpitations. Uh, you know, certainly the list is long. And uh, I have learned that I have to proactively ask some of these questions because number one, they're not necessarily appreciated as being part of the uh, menopause transition period, or they're just normalized. You know, every woman, my mother, my sister went through this, I have to go through it. And I want to make sure the take home message today is that we don't have to and there are options. Is there anything new on the topic of menopause that we should know about? And there's, once again, ever-evolving field, particularly now uh, with a grassroots war cry to have solutions in place. Uh, we have newer medications available, uh, both you know in all types of forms, pills, patches, rings. There's a huge uh, now um, push to cater medications depending on specific symptoms. So if a patient only has vaginal irritation, we can target that. If a patient has hot flashes, there are medications that specifically address that. Uh, and then we're also looking at, uh, you know, other ways. Cognitive behavior therapy uh, has newly been shown to really dramatically reduce um, the burden of hot flashes. I'm recommending it to patients as well. And general lifestyle changes. So exercise, maintaining a, a healthy body weight. Research is truly exploding. The guidelines were updated in 2021, uh, but I expect that updates will be ongoing on a rolling basis. I think a lot of women get to menopause. And of course, HRT is the natural thing they want to talk about. Uh, what are the risks versus the rewards when it comes to to hormone replacement? So like everything in life, there's a benefit and a disadvantage. So certainly with HRT, uh, women with a risk of cardiac disease, with undiagnosed vaginal bleeding, liver issues, uh, thromboembolic history, so if you had blood clots, you are not a candidate for HRT. But the benefit of HRT to replace what the body is no longer making is treating some of those terrible symptoms that we listed. And quite frankly, at the end of the day, improving a patient's quality of life, it truly is a game changer when done properly and safely. So I know that when I first started to experience symptoms of menopause, finding experts who were really knowledgeable in the field was difficult. I was getting a lot of misinformation, disinformation, bad advice, generally from Dr. Google, who we've talked about previously. <laughs> so tell me then about what are some of the best ways to stay on top of all of this information out there that's coming to light now with all of this research into menopause? I'm going to repeat myself. Being informed is being empowered. For our female listeners, please uh, access information from a credible site and perhaps even present this information proactively to your primary care provider. Access the website at caretoknow.ca is a wonderful research. It's credible. We have experts from multiple fields. You can access information safely. Uh, and it is also, number one, free. And number two, hassle-free. Once you subscribe, emails will be instantaneously delivered to your email account. The Instagram handle is care to know underscore. All right, wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today and we'll see you next month.
See you next month. It's time for Saturday Night at the Movies with Anne Brody. A little bit of a slower week than last, but you've still got some good stuff for us this week, Anne. I'll say. Um, what I'm most anxious for the audience to see, because it's terrific, is the HBO original, Being Mary Tyler Moore. She was the first TV sitcom feminist. She didn't wear skirts. She didn't you know, poof her hair up. She wore slacks in the Dick Van Dyke show and she ran a newsroom in the Mary Tyler Moore show. And those those kinds of things weren't open to women back then. So she was a, a pioneer. Um, great actors are in the documentary to talk about it. There's uh, the late Ed Asner, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Felicia Rashad, Bernadette Peters, tons of people. And it's so interesting. She was a very liber liberated woman, obviously, but she, she, what she was most proud of was her um, activism on behalf of diabetes, which she was uh, given a diagnosis for at a very young age. And she spoke to Congress. She helped uh, bring in laws and awareness. Um, you know, but everybody has a dark side, and hers was the death of her son, her only son, uh, her illnesses, and her addiction. But she was in two happy marriages, and the most recent one um, was really the love of her life. And apparently she fell in love with him over him making her a tuna sandwich. <laughs> but there's oh, so that's much... very sweet. Yes. Oh, and also what I want to mention is the episode of Chuckles the Clown's Funeral on the Mary Tyler Moore Show is oh my considered goodness, a classic. one of the funniest moments in television history. So it's all there. You know what? You just actually gave me, I was thinking, what am I going to do when Ted Lasso's over? Because I'm just devastated that oh, it's ending. Yeah. So this is actually perfect <laughs> because Mary Tyler Moore actually reminds me of that very kind, nice show, you know, that we're yeah. so lacking. Yes, it's a kind, seems. nice show. Those are so hard to come by these days. Yeah, so that's actually perfect. You just gave me my next my Excellent. next watch in, so thank you Happy so much. All right, it. let's talk about Fubar. Fubar is a remake of the old uh, spy thing where a father and daughter realize that they are both spies independently. <laughs> um, you know, and it's it takes us to far off places. It deals with things like uh, trafficking, human trafficking, um, and they work. Uh, they begin to pair up. And um, they have to reset the relationship because it's kind of rocky. So I will tell you, it's not Arnold's greatest film. But oh, it's got Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. Sorry, we didn't we didn't Arnold clarify Schwarz that. Schwarzenegger, yes, and it's on <laughs> Netflix. He uh, not his greatest effort, but I'll tell you what is superb, and I'll we'll talk about it in detail later on. June seventh, the Netflix documentary on him called Arnold, just wonderful. So, but prepare for it by seeing this, by seeing FUBAR. It's eight episodes and, uh, you know, can't hurt. <laughs> it's interesting to me, uh, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger is a very interesting 
character. He plays oh, these he real is. sort of meatheads in on movies, but he's so intelligent. Oh, and yeah. recently he's been really vocal about politics in America. Uh, just uh, incredible to watch, actually. He's, he's quite an interesting person. And also, um, I subscribe to his newsletter. It's all about health and nutrition, uh, well-being, mental, mental health. It's just the most wonderful read. I look forward to it all the time. So Interesting. I didn't of, know. I didn't know he had that. So um, I'll have to look it up. Yeah, um, good. That's on Netflix. So yes, let's talk about the sorrow and the pity. A documentary. Yes, it's a documentary. It's two films in one that came out in uh, 1969. I think it was um, archival footage of and in, and present day interviews and past interviews regarding the Vichy government in France during World War II. And of course, as you know, France collaborated with the Nazis. And we see this enormous well of um, uh, racist, anti-Semitic, Aryan sympathy uh, in France. And, you know, it's, I hate to say it, but it's, it, it was kind of known for that for a while. But they talked to people who fought in the resistance, the underground resistance, who are still living, or interviews that they got in the past. They speak to British prime ministers, to people who were in charge in France, and they kind of chuckle like, well, yeah, maybe we did the wrong thing. They don't get it. They just don't seem to get it. And it's all about um, the banality of evil and how we let it in, how it creeps in. Uh, it is, it's extraordinary. And it was made for French television by Max Ophels um, as two two-hour films, but they refused to air it because it showed France as a country of traitors. So this is a restored version. Uh, and, oh, if you want to learn about, well, the war and present-day France, have a look. The Sorrow and the Pity. And it's on right. King Harbor. Okay, we got a little bit of time left. Let's talk about uh, Drops of God because this is on Apple TV. And I got to say, Apple TV has been putting out some really great oh, entertainment lately. They are yeah. good. This is, if you're a wine lover, this is for you. Um, it's about a young woman whose father, uh, they, she grew up in France. His, her father was kind of sadistic and he forced her to learn about wine. He was a vintner. Um, and it, it traumatized her. She can't drink alcohol. It makes her nose bleed because of the memory. Um, and meanwhile, there's a, a young savant re-wine tasting in Japan who had been a companion of her father. Um, we don't know in what capacity to start off with, but he, he can recognize, a, he can name a wine by taste and smell alone. Um, so... He dies. He calls. He'd called her over, and the uh, his will will go to his 178 million dollar will will go to either the boy or to her. So they have to battle it out. They get to taste a wine once, one sip of a wine, and they have a month to figure out where it came from and what it is. So it's a bit of a thriller. You learn a lot about wine and about wine culture, and it, it's a very specific kind of world. Um, I really, really like it. It's just tremendously entertaining. So All right, excellent. God. Okay, so you've got 
uh, all of these that we just discussed about where to watch them, uh, when they when they started, all of that. Plus, you have about my father, which is over on the website as well. And as always, I'm sure you throw in some other little <laughs> you, uh, fun fun little morsels <laughs> for us every weekend. So uh, that's over on what she said talk.com. And we'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. Shower me with good times. Tell me that the world's been spinning since the beginning. And everything will be alright. Cover me in sunshine. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region. Lynn Paulson is the author of the captivating book, Hey Hun, Sales, Sisterhood, Supremacy, and the Other Lies Behind Multi-Level Marketing. Emily's journey within the multi-level marketing world took her from being a stay-at-home parent seeking connection and financial security to becoming a millionaire, but not without significant sacrifices. In her book, Emily fearlessly exposes the truth behind MLMs, sharing her own experiences and shedding light on the dark side of this industry. Get ready for an engaging conversation as we explore the hidden traps, pseudoscience, and the cultural impact of MLMs with Emily Lynn Paulson. Welcome to the show, Emily. Thanks for having me. So Hey Hun delves into the cultural epidemic of isolation and the cult-like ideologies that pervade the MLM industry. So can you expand on this and explain how these factors play a role in the lives of those involved in MLMs? Right. So, you know, in the United States, systemically, we don't support women and moms and you know our unpaid labor holds up our entire society so when we're given a solution even if it's not a viable solution but it seems like it might help we kind of jump at the chance it's like here's something that says it will lead to my financial freedom and give me a purpose and help with my loneliness and it really seems like a band-aid and mlms really encompass all of those target they target all those pain points uh, to get women really roped in so you're personal journey within the MLM world was filled with both financial success, obviously, uh, but a lot of personal sacrifice, as I mentioned. So can you share some of the challenges you faced and how they affected your relationships and your well-being? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're taught to follow a system of operation, and sometimes that can lead to alienating people in your real life, friends and family who, you know, maybe just get annoyed with your constant posting or don't want to be targeted and be recruited. Um, it really starts to take over your life in a way that other jobs and hobbies do not. It's really sold as this freedom, uh, you know, financial freedom, time freedom, but you end up spending a lot of time, uh, which is all unpaid. You know, it's unpaid labor. And, um, you know, it just ends up taking up so much more of your life. So you end up kind of burning bridges uh, and digging yourself 
even more deep into this insular world where now all of your proximity relationships are considered your friendships. Uh, there's also a lot of health consequences for me. You know, I drank a lot more. You're encouraged to, you know, meet clients for drinks. You're encouraged to go to retention events. There's always alcohol, which really escalated um, a problem with alcohol for me. Um, so, you know, it affected my health. It affected my relationships. Um, but on social media, you know, it looked like I was doing great. The pictures were pretty. I was going on trips and it looked like I was earning a lot of money, uh, but that didn't match up with reality. And how long has it been now since you've been out of the MLM world? Uh, three years. Three years. And in yeah. that time, have you gone back? Have you been able to repair any relationships that you may have, uh, you know, destroyed, I guess, through this process? Have you been able to recoup those relationships and make amends, I guess, to people? Yeah, definitely. And it was a very long process of getting out for me. So a lot of those amends I was making while I was in the MLM, uh, you know, I stopped a lot of that predatory behavior that I started realizing um, I was using. Um, I apologized to a lot of the people I brought into the MLM because what I sold was something I really believed. Like I really believed I could succeed so everyone else could until I saw mathematically, realistically, <clears throat> that wasn't possible. Actually, we were talking before we started this recording, and, and I think it would be helpful at this point, um, perhaps you could share the statistics you shared with me of how many people actually lose money. 99.7% of people lose money. And that's shocking to a lot of people because they'll say, well, I know so-and-so gets a commission check. I know so-and-so, you know, she gets a paycheck every month, but that's not looking at profit. Commission is not necessarily profit. So what a lot of these companies don't do is disclose expenses. You have to pay to play. So initially your investment upfront is, you know, you're you're in debt initially. You pay to buy a business kit to be involved in this company. And then you're required to make purchases every month. You buy your own products. Um, you have to calculate your own taxes. There's things like childcare and you know time away from your actual job that is not calculated into um, these facts and figures. So most people don't do a profit loss statement, and when you look at the numbers, it's abysmal. You know, 0.3% of people who actually make a profit. In your book, you make connections between MLMs, pseudoscience, white supremacy, and racism, which seems like a lot of connections, and people may not actually understand how that works together. So can you elaborate on this and and how does it manifest within the MLM culture? Yeah, I mean, I think it's something a lot of people don't want to talk about. You know, our country was founded on white supremacy and a lot of the structures that we uphold still, you know, still rely on that. And if you look at the upper echelons of any MLM company from the corporate, you know, CEOs, CFOs, vice presidents, and all of the people at the top of the pyramid, you know, the top earners, it's all a bunch of white people. And that's not an error, like that's not a coincidence that the people who are seen as the people who can succeed are a very specific avatar. You know, it's like a 42-year-old white woman with 2.5 kids. Um, and you're also taught, like, you are you step on other people to succeed. You know, you recruit a bunch of people. It's not about how much money other people make. It's about how much money you make. And really, the people who are winning, again, are just a very few people at the top. And everybody at the bottom is being crushed. 
I mean, a lot of women that, you know, I see getting into it. I mean, I jumped into an MLM at one point. I mean, I don't know many women who haven't, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Uh, But like you mentioned, you know, there's that need for connection and camaraderie and all of these things come into play. But there's also some promises made by these companies to people. Can you share some of the things they might convince people to jump in with? Absolutely. There's, I think we're a very risk averse society. And so there's a lot of like right now, like this weekend only, there's a lot of that marketing around it. Like you get a free something this week, or you will waive your VIP fee this week. So there's a lot of that that's roped in always. Um, There's a lot of promises like, I will, uh, you know, you'll join me and we'll work together and we'll run together and we'll make these goals together. Like it's this real collaborative process. But then when you get in, you realize it's this total meritocracy where you are in charge of your own destiny. It's your own work. It's your own hard work. And then if you end up failing, it's your fault. You can be blamed for it. And the reality is it doesn't matter how hard you work because mathematically, not everyone can succeed. Uh, You know, if you get in early and you know, you've got a lot of money and you've got a lot of people with money, you might do okay. Otherwise, um, it's not going to work for you. I mean, we're, we are all privy to these. I mean, the title of the book makes me laugh. Hey, hun, because we all get them right yep. into our DMs, our private messages, our emails. So how can people discern between a legitimate business opportunity and a potentially harmful MLM scheme? Yes. So it's the multi-level that is what you need to look for. So sales is just sales. You know, selling a product is selling a product, selling a service is selling a service. But when you are joining not a company, but a person in the company, and that person makes commissions off of you and the people above that person make commissions off of you, you know, you have to look at who you're joining, what you're joining, and ask more questions. Ask who benefits from me joining this company. You know, look at your contract. You know, are you really starting your own business or are you a 1099 contractor for a huge corporation? Um, And do research outside of the people in the company who are giving you the information. You know, there's there's a big difference. You can Google, really, you know, is blank company an MLM? There's lots of resources out there to figure it out. Um, I think the biggest red flag is if a company looks like an MLM and says that they aren't, they definitely are. <laughs> Do I, I mean, I have to hand it to you. I have full respect for you that you are, because you are that 0.01% who actually was making a lot of money and that you were able to walk away from this. Took a lot of courage, I expect. I mean, I I don't know that many people could walk away from that kind of money. It's life-changing. Yeah, and I think one thing that you do in an MLM is you spend a lot of money. You know, there's all these platitudes like spend money to make money. This is the rent on your business. You know, this is how you succeed. And so the more I made the more I spent, the more money went back into the system, the more expenses there were. You know, there were trips that the company didn't completely pay for and all of this money that was going out. And so as I started removing those things, a lot of expenses started to go away. And when you look on paper at what you're really making, it just wasn't worth it to me anymore. So I think that's one of the things too, those those hidden costs, the sunk costs, the fact that people aren't really looking at how much they're spending, um, it just doesn't add up. 
Well, this book is a total page turner. I encourage everybody to go out, even just, you know, even if you have nothing to do with an MLM, it's a highly entertaining read. Uh, So where can people find the book and connect with you and keep up with you? Yeah, so it comes out a week from today, but you can pre-order it anywhere books are sold. Always support your local bookstore if you can. Uh, And you can find me anywhere online at Emily Lynn Paulson. All right, wonderful. Emily, thank you so much for joining me today and good luck with the book. Thanks so much. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Zoe Aka is a genre-defying and imaginative singer, songwriter, producer, and multi-instrumentalist based in Toronto. She has been forging a solo path with fierce determination and a trunk full of creative ideas. On May 12th, she released her sophomore album, This Hen. She joins me now to share a little of the creative creative process behind the album before we play the single this hen is starting to hate men and you just know we need the story behind that title welcome to what she said zoe i regret it immediately i feel like i may be single forever now uh and i just did it to myself i think i took the joke too far and uh well, let it- us let us be the judge of that. Like we have to hear the song first, so we'll we'll be the judge of that. But can you tell me a little bit about the creative process behind it and what inspired you to tackle serious issues in a lighthearted manner? Uh, gee, I guess I could say something fluffy and glossy, but I'll just tell you the truth. As women, I find if you have something tough to say, people immediately block out all of your words unless you say it sweetly or nicely. The social expectations... Uh, for for women's behavior are pretty darn intense. You can't just directly communicate. You can't openly complain. Um, so instead, I try to talk about some things that people don't like in a funny way. Humor tends to grab us uh, a lot. So and and I find people pay attention when there's humor involved. So I you you're on to something for sure. Well, the hen song is really. Uh, commentary on uh, my life as a single mom, uh, spending a lot of time trapped in those responsibilities, watching my male counterparts with an equal number of children, but a supportive partner sail, sail (laughs) through all of, you know, all of uh, the many opportunities that they are offered and the incredible access they have. And I think for the music business, we can safely say it is in the top three most sexist industries you can be in still. It is a tough place to be. And um, this chicken is tired of making eggs for the farmer and the rooster. All right. <laughs> well, I I have to say it's worth mentioning here that you wrote and produced this entire album yourself. You bet your bottom dollar. I did. And uh, I never, it was tough for me to start thinking of myself as a producer even though I was doing the work of a producer. And interestingly enough, I learned production in the same studio that Drake and Forty learned production in the basement of Trevis. But unlike Drake and Forty, 
I didn't pay to go to Travis. I hung out there in the basement with Sam Basie and Gadget. And the rest is kind of like Toronto music history. There with an Atari, learning how to program. And I never lost the love of creating the whole thing, inviting the musicians, putting the drum tracks in, going from writing the song to demoing the song to the enormous work of completing, mixing, and mastering a song. It is my favorite part. But you don't often hear about women doing it because you, it needs a lot of, it used to take thousands of dollars in gear. It's hard for us, harder for us to get the support from music stores to loan us $50,000 worth of stuff. And also, it's a confidence thing. People think producers are men. And I think technology has shown us that women can be great producers too. And I certainly had a fantastic time making these records with such good players. Well, you are the perfect vibe for what she said. So I am so excited to play This Hen is Starting to Hate Men. But first, I want people to be able to keep up with you. And you have a show coming up. So maybe you could let them know about that. Well, if you want to find me anywhere, there is only one Zoe Aka in the world. As soon as you know how to spell my last name, A-C-K-A-H, and you know how to spell Zoe, you will find me anywhere I can be found. There's not another one. So for the This Hen album project, I'm joined by some great musicians, Eric St. Laurent, Katie Morley, uh, Steve from Mercy Flight. We're all coming together. Oh, Jessica Stewart's playing guitar as well. And we will be at the Cameron House playing the whole This Hen album from 6 to 8 p.m. this month on the 31st. Again, Cameron House, 6 to 8. What did I forget? (laughs) Hopefully nothing. Oh, yeah, it's in the front room, so you can just show up. You don't have to buy a ticket. Come on down. All right, excellent. So let's listen to the song, and we'll have you back soon. Zoe, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Candice. That's it for What She Said this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com and be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. You can also catch me on TikTok at Candace Said. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to catch past episodes and extended podcasts. I'll be back next week with another What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Show for some other hand. You can cross the road to the other side or meet a fox and end up fried. Many a hen has lived and died that way. Oh, some days I wish I were a rooster or a farmer in the world of men. Instead of getting pecked by all these hatchlings, growing bored and fat beside this. Raise some chicks.
tricks and provide these hicks with aims by the case. You can get upset, you can cluck and peck, but the farm will come in and wring your neck. It's better to stop and count the eggs you have left to stop brooding. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.